Hey everybody, what's up? It's your girl T back again with another episode of, you already know what it is, the hottest podcast out right now, Real Talk. Today I want to talk to you a bit about my take on relationships. If you're around my age, which is 23, approaching 24, my birthday is September 7th, by the way, I like gifts and my favorite color is purple, so you can keep that in mind. But if you're like me, 23, almost 24, around that age bracket, finished school and all of that, focused on the Lord, I'm sure you've heard the question more than once, when are you getting married? Y'all see that Spongebob meme when it was going around on Twitter where it's the mocking Spongebob meme with the crazy eyes and he has his hands on his shoulders? And (laughs) whenever he's mocking, they do the funky letters. If you're in the Twitter world, you probably get the title of this podcast. If not, join the Twitter world because you left out. Sorry. Sorry. But do y'all ever see, did y'all ever see that meme? Like that is my mood for that question. When are you getting married? That is my mood. That's my permanent mood for that question. Because why y'all so concerned? Like, is it not my marriage? Do I, what pisses me off about that question, I feel, is like, do I just call a date out of the sky, abracadabra, July 3rd? And like, I don't, people want to be coming up to you asking you, when are you getting married? Not even having a person for you, not even knowing your, where you are in life. Like, am I even good with God? How about that? Why don't you ask me, how's my walk? Have I prayed today? You read your Bible, sis? Those are the type of questions we ought to be asking people, not when are you getting married? I feel like um, in society today, marriage has become the pinnacle for many women. Um, Culturally, people just expect like marriage is the pinnacle in a woman's life. You do everything to get married. And there's so much more to life than marriage. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage is good. It's a beautiful thing. It's important. But there's more to life than marriage. And I believe before you get married, that before you get married, there's a lot you need to do to prepare, to get ready, to make sure you're good and you're in for life. Because marriage is yoking yourself to someone forever. There, you know, forever. <laughs> there's no coming out of it. And I mean, there is, but ideally you don't want to come out of it. So today I just want to talk to you briefly about the things I've learned in my prep stage, that which I've studied, that which I've um, sought um, in, in wisdom and counsel as I prepare myself for this marriage season. Um, just to give you a little peek inside my head into how I'm preparing so that you too can be encouraged to prepare though it's not the pinnacle is prepare so today i just want to give you a peek inside my head so without further ado when are you getting married let's talk about it if you're close to me at all you'll know that i'm one of those people that doesn't really get scared um there's very few things that can rattle me like i just i don't really have a lot of fears but of the few fears that I do have, marriage has got to be one of them. For as long as I've been on this walk, everything about marriage has just frightened me. Um, the mere fact that you are tying yourself, yoking yourself to someone, because that's what you're doing for the rest of your life, is just mind-blowing. Like, it's it rattles me. I cannot. I mean, for me, I mean... If you follow if you follow the blog or if you've been around for a bit, you know my walk with God already is difficult because I live heavily by senses. I'm 
somebody that needs things to make sense. So I, I reduce things in my head. I reduce everything to the smallest form so that it, it makes sense to me. I'm kind of an intellect in that way. I need things to make sense. So my walk with God is already difficult because, you know, God don't make sense. And walking by faith with God is probably one of the hardest things in my walk. Like that's where I slip up the most. It's not lust. It's not consistency. It's just walking by faith, like believing what he told me. You know, you hear God and you know that he told you this and you know that you know that you know in your heart that this is what he has told you to do. But still, it's like if if it doesn't look like what he said or if it's taking longer than you anticipated just keeping that faith that that's the hardest thing for me so if i struggle with putting faith in a perfect god that does not lie how the hell am i supposed to walk by faith and tie myself to a man that lies that is not perfect that sin child <laughs> even thinking about it i'm already getting hot like whoo marriage is scary it's scary but um over the years i have worked on this fear before it was like no way like but i've worked on this fear so much now i actually desire marriage and i'm and i'm uh, i don't want to say eager but that's kind of the word but like not eager excited i don't know brain fart i don't know what the word is but I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm looking forward to it in totality, even the challenges. I feel like marriage is going to be an amazing test of, my bad, my bad, an amazing test of, of faith for me. It's going to be the area where I need God the most. And I'm excited for that journey into deeper with God. Now, I don't want to get, don't get it twisted. I don't, I'm, I don't want to get married like, that's not the reason I'm going to get deeper with God, or that should not be the reason that anybody gets deeper with God. You should already be deeper with God, but like, God knows what I mean. I didn't got to explain it to y'all because you're not God, so yeah. Anywho, <laughs> um, if you know, if you've been around me, you know that I have fears of marriage. So um, I've taken it upon myself to face that fear because what you don't confront confronts you. If I stay in the fear of marriage and I push it away and I don't be intentional about learning God's plan for marriage and about confronting that fear, the enemy will use it as a point of access to trip me up. So, and especially, and regardless of whether you're fearful of marriage or not, the enemy will use marriage as a point of access to trip you up because you have to understand that God's purpose and intent for marriage is to it's a, marriage is a blessing to God. His purpose and intent is for two to be made whole, to be fruitful and multiply. So anything that brings God glory, the enemy will try to destruct. So if you fall in line with the perfect will of God for your life and you come in contact with the perfect will of God for your life, the enemy will not stop at trying to destroy it. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? He seeks to steal, kill and destroy. That includes marriage. If you actually make it to the altar, which many people don't, he will try to steal, kill, and destroy even after marriage, which is why it's so important to work on yourself before marriage so that you don't fall so easily into his tricks. But we'll talk about that. I've taken it upon myself to study. You know already that I'm into studying knowledge and all of that, but I've taken it upon myself to study as much as I can about marriage so that I'm prepared. 
Now, in preparation, one thing that I've actually learned in preparation is that you will never a hundred and you will never a hundred percent be ready for marriage because every marriage is different. Problems arise within marriage, and you learn as you go. Marriage is probably the only test that happens after you've taken it. If that makes sense, you can't ever be ready for marriage. It's something that you learn as you go because your kids will be different. Different situations will happen. No one can a hundred percent prepare you. But I do believe there's steps and strides you can take towards. I do believe there's steps and strides you can take towards bettering yourself that will help aid you when these situations come up. And that is what I've been doing. Through studying the Bible, the different relationships in there, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to my heart, speak to me, as well as looking at different marriages that I admire and seeking wisdom and godly counsel. I'm going to say that again. Godly counsel regarding relationships i'm now at a place of peace with marriage and i would like to share with you what it is that i have learned so to start off this conversation i think the most appropriate thing to do would be to talk about the whole headship and submission debate i know in culture especially for christian women which surprises me actually the whole debate about headship and submission is one of the most feared or talked about topics and I say amongst Christians because if you get um, on social media Twitter and all those things and you see the debates the debates between Christian Twitter and non-Christian Twitter or worldly Twitter whatever you want to call it um, the people that have the most issues with submission are those that are actually in the church and I, I always found that crazy because why is it that Why is it that those in the world have no problem submitting, but those in the church have such a problem? And the Holy Spirit revealed to me that that is a point in which the enemy uses to attack in marriages for believers. Because if you think about it, think about when you were not saved. Maybe you're saved now, maybe you're not saved. But think about it. You've been in a relationship before where you have served a man. I have. You can go back to episode three and listen to it. You, you've been in a relationship where you have submitted to a man. Anything that man said, you would do. Anything he wanted, you would do. You served the man from the bottom of your heart. It probably ended up in heartbreak, but you did it, right? Did you not submit? So why is it such a problem now? Think about that. Can y'all think about that real quick? I mean, come on, we having a conversation. Think about that. You have submitted to a man before. You have served, not everybody, of course, but most of us have served a man from the bottom of our soul, from our core. We have served that man. We have loved that man with everything. No matter what he did, no matter what he did wrong, we would still be by his side. We served him. We gave him everything. You know those ones? I gave that man everything. Come on, girls. You know what I'm talking about. You did it. When it wasn't called submission. But now that it has that title submission on it, all of a sudden you want to rebel against, you have a problem submitting, it's an attack. So I think it's important for us to understand what the headship and the ro- what the role of the headship and the role, what the role of the headship is and the role of the wife under submission is so that the enemy cannot be playing with us. Because we finna get married, we finna submit, and we finna let our husbands leave, Okay. So I want to talk about headship and in my study I found, well, first of all, let me just say before studying the topic, I thought headship meant, I thought headship and submission was basically whatever that man says I do. Like 
Uh, like not in a point where like I leave my brain at the altar, but I just thought like it meant like he is like leading the thing. So I just gotta just be under him. I did actually, I did actually, um, believe it meant that I was under him. So I did actually believe it meant that I was under him. Like he was on top and I was beneath, not in a nasty way. I don't know. Maybe only I thought about that. You caught me, but he was on top and I was beneath. Um, that's how I viewed submission. But in my study, um, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that headship is not that of a dictatorship or, uh, uh, um, uh, not that of a master slave relationship, but it's actually that of a servant position. I mean, the Bible says that is why that the Bible says in Genesis right there at the beginning, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife, right? What's the scripture? Let me pull it up. You know, I like facts. Genesis, I know it's in chapter two or three. Which one is it? Let me pull it up. Genesis chapter, is it two? Two is when Eve steps on the scene, right? So then it's, yeah, it's two. Genesis chapter two, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Amen. Thank you for the reading of your word. If you think about culture, um, culture makes it seem as if the woman leaves her family and is joined to her husband. All the time we're told, we're, or all the, as women, we're constantly prepared for marriage from when you're young. They teach you how to be a wife. They groom you, especially if you're African. They teach you and groom you how to how to be a wife, to serve a man, be it household be it household chores, be it cooking, whatever it is. You're constantly groomed to be a wife, and you're constantly groomed to be a wife, a mother, and a servant. Air quotes in your husband's house. I'm sure many of you have heard the phrase before. Will you do this in your husband's house? My mother says it all the time. This dog, will you take it to your husband's house? And I respond, yes, that is his first son. But besides the point, irrelevant. You are constantly, or we are constantly taught as women or told as women that one day we will be taken from our parents and given to a man and we would be joined, we, we will be taken from our parents and given to a man. One day we'll be taken from our parents and given to a man and be under his authority, which is true. We will be. But the Bible sort of spins what culture has created and says the man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife. And when God when and when God said that and when he introduced that in his word, it's because he was showing the setup of a new authority within the household and a man in his parents' home is under the authority of his parents. No matter how old he is, he's under their authority. But a man leaving his father and mother is establishing a new set of authority. He now becomes the headship. He now becomes the leader of his home. He now becomes the leader of his home and his family is submitted to him. Now, when it comes to headship, please don't think of it as the slave master thing, as I told you. It's, it's, yes, it's a position of authority. However, the Bible teaches us God's intent for headship throughout the scriptures. And most importantly, Jesus taught us through his life on earth 
that the, that the position of authority, the headship, the leader in biblical terms is the greatest servant. The position of headship is that of the greatest servant. So the man, the headship of the household is the greatest servant in the household. What does that mean? Does that mean he needs to serve his family? Absolutely. It may not be in the traditional way of service as cooking mm. and cleaning. I mean, I, I hope he would cook and clean because can't just be leaving it on the women. It's 2018. But um, it may not be in that traditional way, but his position is the greatest servant. How is he the greatest servant? By remaining in alignment, by being submitted to the Lord, by being sensitive to the Spirit, in order to make the best decisions for the sake of the family. And that way he becomes the family servant. So as the servant of the household, his job is to lead the household into the purpose, the will of God for the family. So say, for example, God's plan and purpose for that family is to move to Antarctica and start a church. It's up to the greatest servant, the headship, to be so in tune with God that he is able to catch that from heaven and understand and make strides toward fulfilling that purpose. If he fails to do so, when he reaches heaven, he will have to be accountable. So when you look at the headship position, do not look at it as one of him or the man being someone that has authority over you as has authority over you in their own will, in their carnality, in their own vein. The authority that they have over you or the jurisdiction they have over you is to keep you in line with the purpose and plan for God's, with God's purpose and plan and will ultimately for your family life. Now, because of that burden, he is to be respected as the head. He makes decisions for the household, hopefully led by God, that the woman and children would adhere to. An example of that would be, say, for example, the man has decided or he believes that God is strongly telling him that you should move churches and you want to stay in your church. As the head of the household, trusting and believing that he has heard from God, a submitted woman would relinquish her power, relinquish her will, and lead, and lead her children in following her husband's decision. Does this mean you, you cannot disagree with your husband? No. Does this mean you cannot teach your husband? No. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Submission is not a loss of self. Submission is not not teaching your husband. Submission is not, not, submission is not obeying your husband before Christ. That is why it's so important that when you are choosing a partner, when you are deciding who to yoke yourself with, you're yoking yourself with someone that you know you can submit to. How is his life? How is his walk with God? Is his ear sensitive? Because your role in the marriage is to be submitted. So despite the fact that he may not hear from God or he may be acting in flesh or he may, he may be acting in will, that's why it's so important in your decision making to make sure you are choosing to yoke yourself with a man after the heart of God. Because should he not, should he be a carnal man? Should he be a man of flesh? Should he make decisions on his own, in his own vein and not from the mind of God? Your role as a wife is to submit. 
So when you fail to submit, you have failed to fulfill your role as a wife. Therefore, when choosing, choose someone you know you can submit to that will please God and fulfill your role. That is why this relationship thing is so important and it's not something that you take for granted. So don't come and ask me, when are you getting married? When I find a man that I can submit wholehearted to and I know that my submission will not be in vain. That's when I'm getting married, okay? <laughs> so I, I really want to, I, I really wanted to point out those two, two things. Submission is simply the act of yielding to the will of thought over Submission is simply the act of yielding your will to the authority of another person, but the, to the authority of another person. And if you think about it, you submit on a daily basis. You submit to your boss at work when they tell you to do something. Whether you want to do it or not, you're not going to say, I'm not going to do it because you need that paycheck, right? You need that job. So you submit. You submit to the rules or the laws of a city. If the poli- if a police officer comes up behind you with their lights on, are you going to keep driving? No, you're going to stop because you know that you need to stop. It's the rules. You submit to the laws of the city even when you stop at traffic lights, when you stop at stop signs. You, you can keep going, but you will get in trouble. You're submitting. So submission is not something that we don't do. Submission is something we do on the regular every day. So why is it such a problem when we're told to submit in marriage. It's an attack, y'all. You have to get your mind back and understand what God meant from submission, what he means in submission. And don't let the enemy trip you up in that. Submission is not, it's not, it's innate. It's, we literally do it every single day. You follow the rules of the road. You follow the rules of a certain city. You follow the rules of your country, the rules of your town. You follow what your boss says, the rules of your job, the rules of your school. You are constantly in a state of submission. So it's not anything that should be a problem. Number two, the second thing that I have been intentional about learning in this preparation time is killing the whole obsession of relationship goals. I'm sure we're all familiar with the goals, terms, couple goals, relationship goals, marriage goals, bay goals. It seems on social media, everywhere you go, there's some type of goals. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with admiring a a marriage or admiring things of a marriage or a relationship and seeing things that you want within your marriage. Like I, for myself, I watch, you know, Terry and Sarah, John and Lisa Bevere, Judah and Chelsea Smith, just to name a few. And my, of course, spiritual parents, Ralph and Regina Darte. Come on now. Um, you, you, there's nothing wrong with seeing a relationship and being inspired by it. However, when you make it a goal you sort of set or you create a, 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 you, you sort of set or you create a box in which your relationship should adhere to. The thing that's dangerous about relationship goals is that it, 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 it starts, it creates a seed of comparison. Every marriage is unique and one should simply strive for an ideal relationship and a relationship where they allowed the Holy Spirit to mold and work. So I've said a lot about mindsets and how they ought to switch. 
before marriage or how they've switched for me before marriage and how they've helped me and really and truly just learning these things what headship is what submission is and really killing that whole relationship goal obsession has helped me so much but now i want to get into the practical things of how i'm actually preparing i think your preparation stage is very important like i said even though you'll never be completely ready there is a level of preparation that's needed to make strides towards attaining the mindset or the attitude or the character for marriage you know you can't be petty and and expect marriage if you're petty and you live petty and you live tit for tat and you want to enter marriage like that you're you're causing a rep- a recipe for disaster and you're just giving the the you're walking right into the enemy's playground you're giving him access to your your give you're just making it easy for him at this point so there are some practical things that i've been doing to prepare and i do want to share them with you um number one is being a high standard building myself and not relying on a spouse to enhance my quality of life i've learned that if i want if i'm going to have a high standard i need to be a high standard i was listening to a podcast by john and lisa brevere and they were saying it's not enough to find the right person you need to be the right person and that word really spoke to me because i find i feel like even though we all know that you know there's a certain level that we need to be at before we enter into relationship we enter into marriage i feel like there's so much importance placed on what it is we're looking for many times we have a list of things that we're looking for in a partner but we don't have a list of stuff ourselves that we need to be accomplished first and it's like if you want a standard you need to be a standard we're so lenient with ourselves and we're so um, easy with ourselves we allow ourselves or give ourselves time to grow but in our partners we want them to be ready-made number two is wholeness overcoming the invisible overcoming the invisible boundaries in my life this topic is vast and i want to say there's no way you can be completely whole before marriage but i don't even know if that's true i i do believe that you know, life is in stages and at one point you may conquer something, but sometimes it'll come back or projection will be put on you. Someone will project things onto you or or as you face a different thing, like for example, like there's, there's, there's like, right. Like for example, I'll be really transparent. Um, I'm a person, people that are close to me know that I'm a person that's usually overly confident. It's almost kind of cocky. Sometimes my friends usually have to calm me down and tell me like, relax, relax. You're not that hot. Like relax. But like in this season, I'm really dealing with insecurity a lot. I don't even know where it came from, but I'm constantly doubting myself. Is my podcast good enough? Uh, is, is the word deep? Is Are people actually being blessed? Just different things. Like everything that God has sent me or instructed me to do in this season is faced with such high and heavy thoughts of doubt and insecurity. Like I'm constantly doubting everything that God has told me constantly. And that's not usually... Um, a problem that I have like doubt obviously everyone has but I, I usually am confident in my abilities because I know that they're not my abilities I know that it's God moving through me but like in this season it's just been heavy the insecurity so that's that's something that I never really dealt with before but somehow it has crept up on me and 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 with those things what I was talking about with projection sometimes y'all you'll meet a person you'll hang around a person and you know 
every relationship is, a, is, 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 is spiritual, right? We're spiritual beings. That is why you need to choose who you invest into, who you spend time with and stuff. Cause people will project their feelings and their issues onto you and you can begin to carry them. So I don't believe that one can be completely whole before marriage but i think that there's a high level of wholeness that can be attained before marriage there's things that you know that you that you suffer from that you need to work with if 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 insecurity is something that's an issue for you that's something you need to deal with because if you're insecure in yourself add another person it's going to be trouble i mean we are in heavy in these ministry streets if your man or woman talks to a person of the opposite sex at church or says hi, you cannot be tripping. Like you just cannot, like you can't. Right. Um, and, and insecurity is just one. There's so many other things. If trust is an issue for you, if rejection is an issue for you, a lot of times because our parents, one of our parents may have not been around growing up. So we're dealing with rejection. We're dealing with being rejected. And every time we leave a friendship or we feel like someone has left up, we carry and we add to that weight of rejection. You don't want to take that into your marriage, of course. Um, what else? Selfishness, greed, pride, just to name a few. Making sure that you deal with those things that maybe other people don't see, but you know you have. Those things that you know are boundaries for you in life. Those invisible boundaries. That's what wholeness is. Breaking and overcoming the invi- the invisible boundaries in your life. Those are the things you really want to take the time to focus on, working on in this prep stage because once you enter a marriage you know your purpose is to be fruitful and multiply and how dare you bring a child into this world with generational curses of something that you've dealt with or are still dealing with when they didn't ask did they ask no you're just gonna bring them into the world and project your rejection and project your hatred and project your selfishness and your greed and make them live a hard life and be a playground for the enemy just because you couldn't take the time to sacrifice before getting a relationship who do you think you are come on now come on so it's it's in these times that you really want to make sure you deal with those invisible boundaries you know yourself you know yourself and and you you just be honest <laughs> you know yourself you know what it is that holds you back if it's fear if you can't commit to anything if you can't manifest the things that god has told you to do because you're afraid of what people will say if you live by um Um, people's perspective whatever it is you need to identify those things and allow the holy spirit to begin to work on them before you join yourself to another person because once you do that you have now not it's now not only something affecting you but it's affecting them and your seed and you just got to be the most selfish person in the world if you really go and let somebody else deal with what you're dealing with because you can't because you, you don't because you ain't got the hu- humility to seek deliverance over dignity like come on get it together so come on get it together and the um third and last thing would obviously be just studying and seeking counsel and wisdom talking to married people people that are married that will be transparent you know we look at relationships online and we get pictures and we love all the i do gana posts and we love the couple shots and everything but you gotta know that every day of marriage is not like that marriage is a fight you need to fight the enemy is trying to destroy especially if it's perfect will if it's acceptable in goodwill maybe mm. but if it's perfect will which um i i believe we talked about on one of the episodes i believe it was the episode five episode five 
we talked about it so you can go back and listen to that but if it's the perfect will of god for your life the person if it's the perfect will of god for your life the marriage the person you are married to is the perfect will of god for your life surely the enemy will stop at nothing to destroy First of all, he'll fight you all the way to the altar because he doesn't want you to get there. But if you bypass him and you manage to get it to the altar after you're in, after you you've made it to the marriage, he will constantly be fighting you. He will constantly be seeking to steal, kill and destroy. So you want to talk to people that are married. There's some things that can be avoided. There's some things that can be avoided. The the famous um what's his name? Isaac is it Isaac Newton? I think it's Isaac Newton. Don't quote me though, but I know it's one of those big willies. Says I can see further than it is because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Simply meaning that I won't make the mistakes that others have made, or I will do better than those before me because I stand on their shoulders. There's certain things that you can avoid in your marriage just from seeking counsel, just from talking to people who have been through it. There's certain things that everybody goes through like oh postmarital blues or postpartum syndrome or having the first child or finance like every married couple goes through that so every married couple has had the first child has gone through finances has gone through probably at one point job loss has gone through a point where one person didn't want to have sex and one person had a high sex drive every come every couple can pretty much say they've gone through that so those are things that you can seek counsel and wisdom towards of course there's some things that are um, relationship specific that some people just won't be able to help you with and that's fine that's where the holy spirit will come in and teach you and work on your heart but there's certain things that you can actually seek counsel for and it's up to you to be intentional about seeking counsel and seeking wisdom in those things also building habits as a woman i know that my role as a mother as a woman as a wife is to be one a helpmate and a nurturer there there's no way that i can do every single thing there's no way that i can do everything and still fulfill my obligation there's no way that i can do everything and fulfill my obligation as a christian there's there's simply no way you can go back to episode six and listen to what pastor angelina said but there's no way i can be a wife a mother a friend a normal christian serve in church do everything that god has called me to do be a career woman everything at the same time something is going to be at the back burner at one point and that's okay women we wear so many hats so the only thing that's going to help you is prayer you need to build prayer habits now you can't expect to not build habits and just wake up and be a mother and pray sure you can wake up and pray when you need god the most but the habits that are built now is what will be sustained if you can't even commit to reading your bible now if you can't even commit to praying now if you can't commit if you can't commit to spending at least 30 minutes with god now when you ain't got nothing to do how are you gonna do it when you're a wife a mother a career woman serving in church walking in purpose there's no way you need to build those habits now you need to make sure that you have a solid foundation to stand on so now what i'm doing is building habits number three is Number three, and I think the most important thing that I have been working on in this prep season is learning not to trust my eyes. I recently wrote a blog called Don't Trust Your Eyes, and I really think it's going to be a blog series just because the Holy Spirit has been ministering so much to me on this topic of not trusting your eyes. Um, 
And just to give you a brief, super brief synopsis of what it is we'll be talking about, hopefully in the Motivation Mondays to come, just learning not to live by your senses. Your senses are the most carnal part of you. Everything that your senses operate in the soulish realm, your senses live in the soulish realm. That is, what are the five senses? I don't even know. Touch, um, feeling, seeing, hearing, and tasting and tasting I believe it's been like a minute since I've been in grade two two I'm not sure but um your your senses are a place of the soulish realm when you eat that's why we fast to break carnality um where what you hear that's why we have to guard our gates what you see you all the everything that is operated by our senses are the most carnal part of us and the the quickest way to carnality is through your senses uh, to be honest, the quickest way to carnality is through your senses because it relies on bodily function. It's just a soulless, it's just, it's just, woo, it's just a soulish, it's, woo, it's just a soulish place to be. Come on. Wow, that was too hard. <laughs> that didn't need to be that hard. It's just a soulish place to be in your senses. And I'm learning not to trust my eyes. What does that mean? A lot of times, a lot of times we will rule out God's best because we rely on our senses. We rely on our eyes. The person may not be tall enough. They may not be attractive at first. They may not be pleasing to our eye. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like there's a shortage of real niggas in the world right now. Like the real niggas are almost extinct. I feel like there's a real nigga shortage because some of the niggas in this wow (laughs) i don't know not at this point you might as well date a guy in the world because the guys in the church are the same and and we rule them out but not knowing that god pairs us up or sends us people that we need and not that we want we cannot afford to trust our eyes we cannot afford to trust our senses to make decisions for us a person that lives by senses by lives by emotion something that is so fickle and ever-changing is a dangerously carnal person a person that lives by the spirit understands that they must see beyond what they see and they can't afford to trust their eyes and i as we know and as we've talked about as someone that operates by my senses so one thing i'm learning to do is not trust my eyes not really go off of what i see firsthand but to really adhere to the spirit and listen to what it is and knowing my purpose and my call and knowing what has been placed over my life and knowing what has been said and spoken over my life not trusting what i see in the physical but really waiting for what i see in the spiritual or really trying to see in the spiritual if indeed this is god's best for me so that is something that's very very hard to do because some of these niggas is just so fine and you're just like damn like couldn't you just be a pastor <laughs> or something like that like you couldn't just come to church and but um or on the opposite side some of these are you know Girl, they just don't look like what God intended for you. But in reality, that's where God will show up. So um, I'm really, really, really learning not to rely on my senses and not to trust my eyes. 
and to make sure that everything I do is from a spiritual place. All my decisions are being made from a spiritual place. The Bible says in Mark 10, what God has put together and let no man put asunder. Sometimes we are the ones that hold ourselves back. And it's a revelation that God gave me in that scripture. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. Sometimes we think it's other people that will come and put it asunder. But sometimes it's ourselves. Because we haven't taken the time to be whole. Because we haven't taken the time to learn about ourselves. Because we haven't taken the time to seek counsel. We put the relationship asunder. Understand that if it is of God you will constantly be fighting. Your whole marriage, if it is perfect will, will be that of building and fighting. You need to build and fight. A sword in one hand and a Bible in the other. But sometimes we are the ones that put it asunder because we, sometimes we are the man. We are the man that puts it asunder because we fail to to prep adequately. We, we fail to live in accordance to his will and plan for us. And we try to live in the carnal. We operate by senses. So don't focus so much on others putting it asunder because sometimes it's yourself. Just pressed on my heart. One thing that I've really, really taken to account, it just sat with my spirit so much, is ensuring that your partner and you both bear fruit. I think it's so important. Um, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, a tree is identified by its fruit. You know, you know, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says, um, either, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is identified by its fruit. And, um, that scripture is so loaded, but basically it's simply that a tree is identified by its fruit. You need to assess the situation, especially in your decision making when you're picking a partner and all that you need to ask yourself, does this tree bear fruit? Identify, take a look at their lives without you because your job is to enhance, to complement, not create. So does their life bear fruit without you? Is there fruit in their lives? How do they handle their fruit? Is there good fruit? Is there bad fruit? That should help you in your decision making. Your job is to enhance it's to complement not create and i feel like a lot of people get into relationships wanting to create fruit in a person's life and there's nothing wrong wanting to create fruit in a person's life but but there should be that that's not your job your job is to water seeds not plant them to help take them from one level to another your job is to complement your job is to push them but but there should be fruit Do you understand what I'm saying? So take a look at the fruit they bear. What fruit do they bear? Do they take correction? As a woman, I know my role in the marriage is that of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? You have to be able to do that to a man. Does he take correction? Does the Holy Spirit not correct you? Convicts us and corrects us. Does the man take correction? Are they lustful? Lust isn't quenched by a ring. A ring, a marriage, a wedding is not going to fix the root of lust, the seed of lust. That needs to be taken care of before. If they're liking every girl's pic on Instagram, if they're talking to four or five girls at a time, if they look, they can't keep their eyes to themselves every time a girl walks past, they look, they are lustful. 
do look check out that fruit do, do they even recognize they need help i was once talking to a man this man was so sure he could do everything by himself in his life like he did not need nobody's help i wasn't even saved then so i didn't know nothing about no helpmate but he the man needed so much help and he didn't even know it it was so sad because like everybody around him could tell that he need help but he swore he has life on lock can he take help? Your role is to help me. How are you supposed to help someone that think they, they don't need help? They're not going to come ask you for help. They're not going to seek your help. They're not going to value your help because they don't think they need help. These are the type of things that you ought to be looking at. How does he lead? Does he lead from the front or does he lead from the back? Does he hoard his accolades over you? Does he stand on the fact that he is the head or does he understand his role as the headship and what it means as a servant? How do they treat their friends? What do their friends say about them? Are their friends loyal and riding with them? Do they spend time sowing into relationships with even their friends? Listen, if a man cannot sow into his friendships, don't believe he's going to sow into a relationship with you. If Does he take time to call his friends? Does he hang out with his friends? Like, things like that. Those are all things you can be looking at. How do they serve in church? Are they committed to ministry? Do they have a ministry that they serve faithfully in? Do they hop from ministry to ministry? Can they keep a job? Like little things like that are things that are overlooked because we think, oh, they're saved and that's it. But no, does it do? Does the tree bear fruit? A lot of times people just look for people that are in church, but listen, God has given us free will but it's important for you to understand your capacity what you can and cannot handle because you are the person that has to live with this person you are the person that's yoking yourself to this person despite what they are on paper despite what they are in church who are they when no one's watching what is their fruit what seeds have they sown what seeds are in their lives that either need to be uprooted or watered what is the fruit? I feel like that's the single most important one for me. So um, lastly, I would like to reiterate what I've been saying this whole episode. If it is the perfect will of God for your life, you will be fighting forever. The enemy will come to steal, kill, and destroy even after the altar. So it is your job to ensure that you're building and fighting. You have a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other. You're fighting the enemy off as you're building and climbing towards purpose. Make sure that you use your prep time wisely. That's all for me, folks. And that is my little spiel on preparing for marriage. I don't have all the answers because I'm not married yet, but best believe when I am married, my husband and I will come on here and teach you what it is we learn. I, I hope that um, we can be transparent in, in our marriage. You know, I'm pretty transparent and I, and I, and I really, I really hope that um, in my marriage, my husband will allow us or will, uh, yes, allow us, lead us and allow us to be transparent with our relationship as well so that we can bless God's people. But for now, that's all I got, folks. I hope this episode blessed you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to talk about something, didn't understand something, so hit me at one of my outlets or social media in the description box and we can definitely get it on and popping. Until next time, keep it lit.